0: So I was going in thinking I should, I should win a medal. I'm in a good position to win a medal. If I execute a good swim, I should be able to win a medal. And my coach, Dave, about two or three days before the Olympic final, he said, look, you need to start thinking about winning the Olympic Games. You need to start thinking about winning an Olympic gold in that 200 metres freestyle because you can't go in there not thinking about that, having not wrapped your head around it and expect it to happen all of a sudden. You need to go through that process in your head because he said no one's ever won an Olympic gold thinking they can't do it, you know?
1: Welcome to Social Kick, I'm Brian Lundquist, we got a full crew, Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and he's the Olympic champion of the 200 free, he's the host of the weekly freestyle, Tom Dean, what's up Tom?
0: Hi guys, how you doing? Man, we're good.
1: All right, before we get into this, we got a couple quick rapid fire questions for you, I don't need to know. Is it a swimming cap or a swimming hat? Swimming cap. Okay. Is it prelims, heats, or trials?
0: Oh, heats, yeah, heats
1: does true or false british swimming announcer andy jameson overuses the phrase my goodness me
0: <laughs> probably true but i like him so i'm gonna say false
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's all good we'll we'll hit some more later but um mate thanks for coming on it, it was actually uh, really fun to to listen to to your podcast and all the stuff that you guys mm. do at the weekly freestyle i, I want to hear first first about that how'd you, how'd you get into it and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, tell us about it.
0: So, um, yeah, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. But no, yeah, so Alex, my co-host, he's been a mate of mine for ages, you know, a, a number of years. And he's, he's one of those guys who just, like, takes an interest in any sport. You know, he loves swimming. He loves football. He's a big Liverpool fan like myself. Um, you know, he follows all the different sports, and he's unreal at them as well. Like, he plays loads of sports. And he's really into sport podcasts as well and it was before the commonwealth games last year so i got back from world champs in budapest and it was kind of we had a few we had like a month between worlds and commies and um i think alex was coming back from holiday or something and he'd listened to a podcast and he was like he was trying to think what he could do in that space and obviously we we're really good mates so he was like look let's try and do one kind of based around swimming but also just a, a bit of a laugh, you know, um, two mates and, and kind of commentating on what we're doing and what's going on in our lives. And we did a few episodes of Commonwealth Games. Um, we did an episode while I was out in Melbourne at the World Short Course, you know, while I was in Australia on camp. So we've done loads and loads of episodes. And it's just so interesting interacting with people uh, along the way who have questions and kind of want an insight into, into my life as an athlete. And it's the way we look at it is we have someone who's kind of on the inside looking out you know, uh, an elite sports person living that life and um, someone who's kind of um, just a supporter and a fan looking in and, and, and finding what's interesting and funny, but two really good mates at the same time. So that's kind of the approach we mm-hmm. took. And yeah, we, we just have a laugh with it. You know, we record every Sunday night if we can. And um, we did one last week and we're going to try and do like a British champ special in the next next two weeks. So um, yeah, it's just a bit fun.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, there's I, I like seeing athletes kind of just express themselves and, and open themselves up to, to, you know, sharing a bit of their story. Cause, um, Hey, like it's, it's fun uh, when you're on the outside of that world of elite athletics to, to follow and get the inside scoop of, you know, what's happening on behind the scenes outside of just the pure coverage that you see of, of the race. There's so much more behind it. And mm. I think the athletes that are starting to open themselves up more, whether it's like via a vlog or they're just share a lot on Instagram or, or what have you, are they're starting to build a fan base and an audience yeah. and i think it creates more commercial opportunities for them too to just like have a lot of longevity or earn some cash and really make a career out of it
0: yeah 100 percent. social media is like almost as big as the results you're doing in the pool it feels like sometimes you know it's written <laughs> into all our contracts after a certain number of social media i mean you look at um uh michael andrew he did really you know he's done really well on the social media side of things obviously he's a great streamer as well Um, you know, he's got some, some decent medals to his name and stuff, but the social media almost came before that, didn't it? You know, he was, I know he was a good junior and stuff, but like he was known for his social media presence. And I think he's been able to go on and and reap the benefits of that. Uh, and I think it comes really naturally to some people, comes really naturally to some athletes. And, you know, for like, for me personally, the social media side of things, not so much, you know, I kind of have to not force it, but think through what I'm doing a little bit more and be slightly more proactive. And I'm always trying to be on it when i can but stuff like the podcasting i just love i just love talking about that kind of stuff and you know i guess it's just about finding your niche isn't it really
2: yeah you gotta have the good omnipresence right now you're on the podcasting world you have your social media (laughs) are there any other channels that you think swimmers or just kind of athletes in similar sports can continue to maybe look into and, and grow as well
0: i think vlogging's become really big hasn't it what's his name the american swimmer he's a breaststroker Cody Miller, oh, I think he might Cody Miller. That's it. He's, he's really on it with the blogs, isn't he? You know, I remember he did, mm-hmm. he did really well um, with all of his vlogging and stuff like that. So yeah, social media is so big, especially for like commercial opportunities now. Um, so yeah, I think, and, and I think we forget how unusual our job is, you know, and what we do on a day to day basis, but because you yeah. live it every day and you're surrounded by the only, you know, the people I interact with the most are the people doing exactly the same thing. So it's not unusual or abnormal to them. But to the outside, you know, I tell someone about the sessions I'm doing or or the, um, I don't know, the the measurements that people are taking, the physiologist throughout the day and throughout the week and stuff like that. And it's so surreal and it's so different to any traditional job that people take a real keen interest in it. So I think it's definitely something to be said for giving, you know, the general public a bit of an insight into elite athletes' lifestyles.
3: Does that help you, Tom? Does it help you keep yourself a little grounded? Because uh, sometimes we get carried away with ourselves, you know, like... We don't realize how far we've come or how hard we work or how unique we do. Uh, so it keeps you grounded, it also makes you realize some sort of like satisfaction of what you've achieved. For down moments, do, do you have moments where people ask you, You swam how many meters this week? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
0: you know, <clears throat> it is a bit like that. No, it, it absolutely is. And, and even with like since winning the Olympics, it's been a little bit like that because I remember when I was a junior, uh, I started out at the National Center, I'm 18 19 years old. And I remember thinking, God, I just, you know, to be on the Olympic team would be a dream of mine. You know, that'd be my lifelong dream from a kid to be an Olympic swimmer. You know, that's that carries such a presence in America, just like in the UK. You know, um, there's so much respect that's put on the name of an Olympian. It's a title that you can really carry through for the rest of your life. And then I think it, it's, it's like those studies that have shown, you know, when, when, be sudden change or sudden spike or difference in your lifestyle but after a number of months it just becomes the norm again doesn't it you know and we're just you know we're, yeah. we're made to just settle back into it and, and become used to it and stuff like that but i caught myself the other day i we um i can't remember what it was but i i think i had like a voice recording or i didn't interview or something when i was like 18 or 19 and this voice recording, they, the, the question was, like, what, what do you want to do in the sport? And I said, I, I would just love to be in, you know, qualify for the Olympic Games. That would be uh-huh. a dream come true of mine. I remember how hungry I was and how passionate I was to, to be an Olympian. And then I got there and I won and it's crazy. You know, the summer I had after the Olympic Games was nuts. I was here, there and everywhere <laughs> and I had all this media and it was, it was crazy. And then you spin forward to the winter or the following spring or, you know, 18 months down the line like we are now and it's just like you know that's the norm now you settle into it and and that's part of who you are and you live that life and unfortunately i've got some great commercial partners and i've able to you know i've got myself a nice place in in, in bath where i live and i'm i'm settled here but you know all this comes from from the olympic games and i think there is something to be said for yeah looking back slightly and thinking actually you know I've come quite far in the last four and a half years um, since being at the national center and you know, I do train really hard and I have done one Olympic medals and I have won world medals and, and international um, accolades. And, you know, while it's great to take a step back and think we've had this great journey, what's next? You, you don't want to do too much patting yourself on the back. You know, there's always something next to come up. So um, I think it's finally a healthy balance for sure.
3: And I, I think the opposite could be true as well to um, Like it... <laughs> You realize why you did the sport in the first place. So you speak to that yeah. 12 that year old kid and like, oh yeah, that's why I jumped into the sport in the first place was to take down Matt Richards, you know, head to head. I don't care what time I did. I took Matt down.
0: Yeah. Back-to-head. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um, I think, I think when it's, it's easy for an athlete, especially a swimmer, because traditionally as a swimmer, you know, you don't earn loads from the sport. We're not footballers. You know, when you do get media coverage and you do start earning, you do get commercial partners, it's quite easy to get caught up in that. Um, and there'll be, a, I just know that there'll be a young swimmer coming up through the ranks That's right. who is solely focused on performance and on delivering results and stuff like that. And fortunately, I've been able to recognize that and hone in on that. And ultimately, all this other stuff, you know, the sponsorships and things like that that's secondary to the results. The results do have to come first. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very consciously aware of that. And and that's, you know, um, a credit to my coach, Dave McNulty, for for constantly reminding me, you know, that's really at the core of it. Um, so, yeah, it's just being able to tap into that, um, like you said, that same hunger you had when you were a teenager.
2: You mentioned seeing this video of you when you were younger. Now, we're older. Luke, much older, but we're all older <laughs> than you were. We didn't have our stuff, like, recorded <laughs> when we were swimming and things like that. How much of that is nice to have? Is just kind of like a catalog, and to like you said, know where you came from. How much of it's kind of like cringe? Or like, God, I can't believe I, I said that, or I thought I knew everything back then. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, what are your thoughts of having this kind of, like I said, video um, bio of you yeah. as an Olympian now?
0: Um, I, I like to think. I think I'm very. I think you, you kind of have to be conscious of your media presence off the back of being in the spotlight from olympic games and winning olympic games and you have to be conscious that the the words you choose have repercussions um and the message you send out will be heard by a number of people you know you have a bit of an audience you know even like a social media following something that i i I suddenly gained you know i haven't got millions and millions of followers but all of a sudden you've got a few tens of thousands of people looking at what you're doing so you have to be quite conscious of the message you're putting out And, and and one thing i've been very aware of is not raise myself above the sport in that I'm still an athlete who's still got to go to the trials and qualify. I still need to book my ticket on the plane. I still need to earn my spot on the relay. Uh, and I still need to do a good job when I get to these competitions. You know, um, one thing that I'm not a fan of is, for example, when people don't do well at like a, a, a certain competitions, they, they, they downplay the competition. Oh, it's only Commonwealth Games. Uh, you know, I've won the Olympics. It's only Commonwealth Games. But actually the Commonwealth Games is someone's biggest achievements yeah. getting on the team for the Commonwealth Games and you're yeah. representing England and you're walking out with a flag on your back so you have every right to put respect to that competition that it that it deserves regardless of the achievements you've done in the past and I'm a big believer that you're only as good as your last result um, and that's something I've tried yeah. to keep with me so you know when when you when you get a, um, a presence off the back of some results you know this is something my mum said to me when I finished the Olympics she said now you kind of have to give yourself up to the media slightly you know you have to you have to have an image and you, the way you carry yourself, the way you present yourself. Um, so that's why I think it's, it is good to look back at, um, you know, where you came from. And it is good to, to think, actually, I've been on this journey and I'm still on this journey, you know, and and, and having that conscious eye looking at how you present yourself and and, and how you kind of hold yourself in, in, in the public light, really.
1: Tom, did you stand behind the blocks in the Olympic final uh, with the goal to win? especially as someone who's was coming only a, a few years back of saying that you just want to make the Olympic team and just being there is mm. uh, obviously like an experience in itself mm. and, and a lot to take in too, um, a lot of first times and then comes with a lot of pressure and a different sort of pressure with, you know, nobody in the stands, but a lot of expectations, you know, back home watching you what's the mentality standing behind the blocks of the Olympic final.
0: So I was going into the Olympic Games ranked second in the world behind Duncan, uh, off the back of the times with Tom at the British champs. But there were quite a few lads kicking about on the 144s, um, so I was very aware of that fact. And you know, you look at who was in that final there's an incredible eight, an incredible. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm just turned off. <laughs> no, sorry, no. sorry, 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 sorry. That's no, my no. alarm telling me to do the podcast with you guys. Um, <laughs> apologies. That needs no, to good. be flipped off. Um, there you go, off. Um, sorry about that. All good. Apologies. Um, where was I? Yes, yeah, so the Olympic final. I was going in ranked second into the Olympic final on a 144 because of the times Duncan and I had done at the British Champs. And um, so I was going in thinking I should I should win a medal. I'm in a good position to win a medal. If I execute a good swim, I should be able to win a medal. And my coach, Dave, about two or three days before the Olympic final, he said, look, you need to start thinking about winning... The Olympic Games, you need to start thinking about winning an Olympic gold in that 200 meters freestyle because mm. you can't go in there not thinking about that, having not wrapped your head around it and expect it to happen all of a sudden. You need to go through that process in your head. Because he said no one's ever won an Olympic gold thinking they can't do it, you know. So I, mm. I took that on board and and you know, I'm I never want to like, it's it's like a goal setting. I never I'm never like, look, I wanna I wanna win an Olympic gold medal. Oh no, I want to go on 44 two and I win an Olympic gold because you know I always think like if you say that if you do it well it's like well you've already said it you know so it's not you know there's no big surprise or anything and if you don't do it well you've just set yourself up to fail a little bit so you're going to fall short so when it comes to goal setting I'm always like uh, it's more the process that I'm focused on so I want to focus on right. the process and the results will will, will um, come to fruition at the end so my coach said you need to wrap your head around the, the, the prospect of winning Olympic gold and I was very aware of that and I remember I did the heat swim and it felt good. And I did the semi-final swim. And I thought, God, I've I've messed up. Like I've I've misjudged this swim. That felt way too easy. That's like a 147 or something. I'm not going to make the final here. That felt so easy. And I hopped out the pool. I was like, oh no. That was too easy. And, and, and it was 145 too. And I was like, Right, something pretty special is going to happen tomorrow because that's mm-hmm. the easiest one forty-five I've ever floated in my life. And you just know when you're on that kind of form and you're perfectly tapered down to the day and you just know something good's going to happen. And it's like, at that point, the hard work had already been done. And it's like, I just know what kind of race I need to go and execute. Um, and I remember standing behind the blocks, and I think I was in lane six. Duncan always takes a while to get ready before race. race. Um, but I've grown up with him, and I know he always <laughs> he takes absolutely forever. So you don't give it any of your mental energy because it's just... He's always does it and it's just his routine. Um, And I've been fortunate enough to be in enough competitions with him to know that's how he kind of, how he operates. Um, And I just remember standing behind the blocks and it's almost that pure tunnel vision, you know, that singular focus on what you've got to do. Um, But surprisingly not nervous. You know, I thought I'd be really nervous. And I remember in the warm-up for the Olympic final, it crept into my head ever so slightly where it's like, okay, the next hour of your life will determine what the next 20 years of your life are going to look like, Damn. you know, and what you'll be, what you'll be remembered as for the rest yeah. of your life if things go right, you know, it is that, you know, in the sport we're in, that's the kind of weight an Olympic gold an individual Olympic gold carries with it. And I was swimming along in a warm up in Japan, I, I'm in Tokyo in this pool and I'm like, okay, I need to get that thought very much out of my head because that's not going to help me do the job I need to do at all. I need to focus on what I've actually got to do. Um, so there's a flicker of that ever so slightly an ever so slight wobble. And then you just start going through your process again, uh, and you just execute your pre-race routine. So yeah, a lot going on in, in your head at that moment.
1: Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird balance, isn't it? Between having the self-confidence to believe that you can achieve a certain thing and not focusing on that thing that you want to achieve mm. at the same time, yep. because it can yep. negatively impact your result. Like there's a weird yeah. line that you kind of have to toe to optimize
2: the mm. performance.
0: It is. Yeah. It is. And it's, it's, it's kind of process versus outcome, isn't it? And which one you focus on is the real important decision you've got to make, even though it's hard to, you know, the outcome justifies the process. So it's, it's hard to, you know, disentangle the two, but you, you really have to as you're approaching your races.
3: You know, guys, it was interesting, Brian. Um, I wonder if there's a 50 freestyle versus 200 freestyle thing because Brett's Hawk said the exact same thing happened to him. So he was a top qualifier in Athens in 53 lane four, yep. and for a fleeting second, he said, you know what? In 23 seconds time or less, my life is going to change. One, yeah. And it went for a quick second and out. But he maybe told yeah. us that probably just messed him up for the race. It wasn't being present. And Tom, it happened to you, but it didn't mess you up. You might Was it because it didn't happen in blocks? Or was it 200? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in not shying away from what's about to occur. You know, um, like I know, for example, I know in 18 months time that I'm going to have, if all goes to plan, the 200 freestyle final in Paris. And um, obviously I want to go and do my best possible swim. I'd love to go there and win. No one's ever defended a 200 freestyle title in the history of the sport. And I'm the only person in the world right now with that opportunity. And (laughs) that could seem like a really daunting task or a really daunting phrase. You know, when you say it like that, it's like, oh God, this is, it's insane. But they're the facts of the matter. There's no hiding away from it. There's no shying away from as much as I try and push it out of my mind. It's still going to be the case in 18 months time, you know, and I'm still going to be doing four lengths of a pool in France um, with those results in my mind. So, you know, it's no, there's, I've, I've never been one to not um, vocalize the the thought process uh, and the event and the, the occasion. Um, I think it's only when you start getting ahead of yourself, you know, when you start thinking, wait, you know, about the outcome and beyond and and, and what the repercussions of that outcome could be, that's when you start to kind of get taken off that path slightly. Agreed. So I'm very much a, a fan of routine on race day because that keeps me honed in to the process yeah. as opposed to the outcome. Yeah.
2: Back to the Olympics, it was, you know, we rewatched it today and God, what a great race. You had the youngsters going out blazing mm-hmm. fast, um, like you said, right next to you um, and, and over in lane one. Then... They started to fade that last 50. You pulled up. You had uh, Duncan Scott flying in the middle of the pool. Yeah. It looked like he was gonna pass you up, and you know he caught you maybe with 15 meters left. But then yeah. you held on, got your hand on first. What do you remember about the race when you're you know from being in it or even looking back at it?
0: Yeah, so I've gone over it quite a few times in my head, and and that first 50, when you when you're tapered and feeling like that on the 203, that first 50 is like. It's like it's free. It's like it's easy speed. It's like it's not even, you're not even swimming. You know, you're, you're hovering above the water on that first 50. You just float it out. And I'm out in like a three nine or a four zero or something like that to feet. And it's just like you haven't even started the race at that point. And then, and then on the second length, I'm next to Huang. And he's going out quick. And he's going out real quick. And that was the real bit in my head where I was like, have faith have faith that he's not going to be able to back this race up, you know, at this point in his career, he's not going to have the faith. He's not going to have the back ends about this race up, stick to your own race plan, know what you need to do. And, and, and that's the, that's, I'm so glad I made that call because it's so easy. You know, everyone's done it where they've gotten a race and it starts from someone else's race. And that's just like, it's game over at that point. You know, you have to stick to what you know you need to do. And um, and, and that's a super important thing, especially in two free it's such a tactical race, yeah. you know? So I thought let, <laughs> Almost let him go out. And that's such a weird thing in an Olympic final, letting someone go ahead of you. You know, you would have thought that's the most counterintuitive thing ever. But you almost have to collect yourself and think, actually, this is this is part of it. I know where I am. I'm so finely tuned. I know where I'll be turning and, and what I should be feeling. But I'm breathing to the right down that second length and Duncan's to my left. And I know Duncan had a really strong back end. You know, he had a really strong second half of the race based on where he was that season and how he'd been swimming. And I turned at the 100 mark and I pushed off the wall and I took my first breath. I looked right and I had like a body length on Duncan. And I just remember thinking, thank God, you know, that is the best thing I could have possibly seen when I popped up. Because if he had been with me, knowing his back end, he would have had me, you know, on, on, you know, he saw his last 50. He would have had me on that, on that back end. Get to the 150 mark. Hwang's starting to fade down that back end, just as I predicted would happen. I think I go past him with like 25, 30 meters to go, whatever it is. And then I'm, I'm, I'm head down. And I'm just thinking, just get your hand on the wall, get your hand on the wall, get your hand on the wall first. Don't mess up your finish. And I've watched that race back, the last 10 metres of that race so many times. Duncan takes his last stroke before me, but I go over with a long left arm and I've got like quite long levers and I just lunge over, swing my last stroke behind him, but managed to get on the wall four hundredths ahead of him. And uh, yeah, and then it was just pure shock and and surprise and and joy and all that good stuff that comes when you win Olympic gold so yeah crazy crazy times
1: yeah the faith that Duncan must have had to let everybody go is like even more extreme than what you're talking about from from how far back he was to close that last 50. yeah do do you ever uh, when you're in a race that close I, I think as a lot of swimmers you know you do it so many times in training um that you really could like hit the wall really hard and potentially break or jam your finger. Yeah. you hear of some people doing that, but an Olympic final, it's like kind of how to pick your moments. And you were in such a close race, you couldn't even see to your left what was going on mm. with Duncan at that point, but. there any part of you that's like i mean it sounds like you kind of were like every every ounce of straight but yeah you could possibly get to maximize um you know the touch and and get a better time but like i I think so many of us even in championship races you see people kind of you know they they bend their wrist and break their wrist so they don't like actually jam the finger when maybe there is another hundredth there too for people if they just put Mm. a head down and go i think the most famous one is probably the way bernard finished the 2008 race against the u.s and um you know he just had like a, a not a good finish and leezak had a lunch to the finish and, and the us wins yeah. that epic relay but um yeah you know you see that so many times on the underwater camera and it's like it makes everybody cringe who knows what it's I like know. to actually finish with good form
0: yeah because he's on 99.9 percent of the race um but I think in those Olympic finals it's just every fiber of your being every ounce of your strength is just pushing yourself you know you hit that higher level slightly don't you um and I remember a few months before I was in training And we're doing some sprints and training. We're doing some finish practice. And I was, like, behind Jimmy. Probably was Jimmy. I was going head-to-head with uh, James Guy, who I trained with. Mm -hmm. And I did some big lunge and just picked him on the wall. And Dave was like, you're going to get someone one day with that finish. You'll get someone one day with that finish. And then two, three months later, I managed to win the Olympics with that finish. So he called it. And he always always likes to remind (laughs) me of that one. Yeah.
3: so I swam in dark ages, but I still practice how to touch the touchpad as hard as I can without breaking my finger. I and mean, we really yeah. made sure like we, we got it in the finger here. And as soon as we could try and take the the weight and the momentum with your, with your wrist, but make sure that yeah. made the contract. And we practiced it a lot. We would do that a lot. Tom, Brian, John, did you guys do drills to, to really see how fast you could smash that touchpad without breaking your finger?
2: No, no. I'm okay. just sitting here, listening, thinking of you doing this in the <laughs> pool
1: over and over,
3: and we did it, man. <laughs>
1: like, imagine the amount of gains you could have got if you focused more
3: on other stuff instead of that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hours of that. It's making sense now.
3: <laughs> uh, what, Tom? What up? That was 18 months ago. How how are you swimming at 200 free now? If any different, or or, or how do you? And, and and obviously that's the best way to swim 200 free style. So I use 200 free, right? That's what you think. How are you swimming it differently now? Besides staying in your lane, doing your thing, yeah. letting people do their thing, being aware, how are you swimming it now? And is, is you know, you and, and Dave think that's the best way to swim to, to, to freestyle, yeah?
0: Yeah, at, at the end of the day, look, the, the world of 200 frees moved on in the last five years. You know, there's, yeah. there's no doubt. Jimmy, my training partner, Jimmy, won. He was world champion with a 145, okay? Mm. And I remember someone went one 144, like Rio was won in a 144 by obviously Sun Yang, so you know it shouldn't really count, you know, because he's a convicted <laughs> drugs cheat. But silver was Chad LeClerc in a 145. But no one was yep. going 144 at that time. You know, 144s just weren't happening. Now it's like 144 just to like be in that top six and be in that top eight. You know, the the event just went like nuts all of a sudden. Yep. You know, from from that Olympics onwards. So I remember Jim, Duncan and I both went 144s at the trials. That had never been done before by two Brits, you know, dipping under like that. I think Duncan had gone a 144.9 at Guangzhou 2019. But, you yeah. know, two Brits go 144 mids all of a sudden. And then you had um, uh, uh, Katsu Matsumoto went 144 mm-hmm. that year. Uh, and then in the final, obviously, um, Sheffer went 144, didn't he? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, believe um, yeah, You yeah. know, all yeah, all of a sudden you have all these guys going 144. And then, obviously, Popovici has gone and dropped that down to a 142.9, which is crazy. You know that event's moved on even further. So there's no denying the fact that the whole event's moved on. And you know, all of a sudden, we've got this young lad, uh, Popovich, who's kind of setting the world on fire with his times. And frustratingly, it happens to be in my event. But such is the nature of sport. <laughs> um, and you know, you've just got to accept that, that the world of sport is changed. I remember um, Ian Thorpe did an interview. I think it was with Brett Hawke. Yeah. this was before the Olympics and he was like, no one's swimming the two under three right. No one's taking mm-hmm. it out quick enough, you know? And I took I took out in a 50.4 when I won the Olympics, you know? But mm-hmm. even like, I've watched, you know, Phelps's 200 two under three from Beijing. You know, he said that's one of his proudest races. His 200 free from Beijing. He took it out like an absolute rocket. You know, he went 142.9. He said it's his bravest, you know, it's his ballsiest swim. He put his neck on the line, did the whole race by himself and it looks like he's going out like a rocket. Or even like Chad Duclos, in Rio when he went out like two body lengths ahead of these guys were still 50 points. You know, they're yeah. still only 50 points. Like it, it looks like it's a 48 or something or 49, yeah. but you know, there's only a 50 point. And then all of a sudden you've got guys going out 49s all you know, forty-nine eights and stuff like that. Quang out in a 49 and pretty full cool Popovici out back in Budapest without 49. Mm. You know, I was out 49, but I paid the price for it because I didn't, mm. I, I wasn't out too fast. I was just out too hard. You know, I was working the legs too much. So it's becoming, Look, you've got to take it out in a 49 now and a controlled 49 to feet. You know, how many people, how many guys in the world can go up 49 point and still back up another 100 after it? You know, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough way to swim a 200, but that's the way the event's moved on. And that's what we're training for very much now. So I know that, that I need to move my 100 free on because to do an easy 49, you need to have a pretty decent 100 free under your belt, you know, because you need to float out in a 49.7 before you even think about backing up another 100 off the back of that. No. So the, the sport's changed, the event's changed, and how you swim it has obviously changed off the back of that. And Dave and I are very conscious of that fact. Uh, and we've, you know, we're still working hard. We're still doing very similar stuff. Uh, and, you know, I know that the times I'm doing in training are better than I've ever done. Uh, and hopefully the engine and the fitness and all that stuff comes together. Because, you know, like I said at the start, it's such a, such a tactical race, isn't it, that 200?
2: Yeah, like we were talking before, Brian and I were just at men's NCAAs and we were talking with Leon Marchand in the 200 mm-hmm. IM and 400 IM and he was his big strategy was just take it 50 by 50. Implying yeah. that he's pretty much sprinting every 50 of every stroke. Now, obviously, the 200 IM is different than the 200 free working different muscle groups, but it does seem like we're seeing this progression in the 200s of yeah. being able to go out faster and faster and people trying to just have, like you said, just more front end speed so that easy first yeah. 100 isn't, as hard as a 49 should be um or they're just having more confidence in in their training that they're going to be able to close it um you mentioned a few things of like you said working on your front end speed for your 100 to hopefully get that easy speed going are there any other training changes you're making just to like you said continue to have that mental strength to know that you're going to be able to come back hard when you know that's going to be hurting that that last bit
0: yeah yeah, you're, you're right about that, the 200s. The, the 203 used to be a timid event, you know, people would yeah. go out tactically and then it was, you know, someone would make a move. Now it's just like, it is a sprint, you know, it's heading that way. It's becoming more and more of a sprint. Um, and, you know, that's that's the nature of the event. So, yeah, the stuff I'm working on, Look, we're doing a lot of, so we do a lot of VO200s, so the VO2 heart rate, you know, that real high-end work. And essentially if I'm if I'm doing a long course block of VO two hundreds, we did some out we did a lot out in Australia when we were on tra- uh, on camp back in January, February. And I'm trying to hold fifty twos, you know, long from a push for back to back hundreds because that's really the middle of the two hundred race. You know, right. so I need to be comfortable going but even even splitting, you know, I need a twenty six two, twenty six two, you know, not a twenty five four, twenty seven two or something, you know. I need that even split. So that's, you know, it's getting into the routine, being comfortable with holding that speed. We do and we do lock in fifties, like long course 50 frees, where it's literally 260, 260, 260, or 263, 20, you know, and it's just like become second nature. We did so many of those out in Australia. So it's just it's it's not wildly different to what we were doing before, but it's 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 being conscious of I've got a new race model, I know what the times are gonna break down to, I know how I swim the event. Um, look, I need to be able to float out you know, three eight, and then back up with a 26 for a 49 mid to high and be okay with that and be comfortable with that and then know that that middle 100 is going to be a 52, you know, uh, because I've done so many of those. So it's, it's very much being comfortable with that level of speed for the 200. And, and, and like you said, a mental game as well, you know, having faith in the work I've done, having faith in the taper, you know, um, swimming an in in-season two hundred is worlds apart from swimming a tapered two hundred because I said that that front end, you know, that just comes naturally. It can kind of spook a few people. You know, they're like, "Oh God, I, I'm going out too quick," or "This feels too easy," or, or whatever it might be. So it's having faith in the taper. Um, You know, we're we're in the middle of one right now as we head into British champs. So I know that when I go to um, Sheffield next week for for the British champs, I'll be comfortable going out in the twenty-four low because mm-hmm. that's where my body is at this time. And I'll be okay with that. And then, and then it's the case of locking into those, those hundreds that I was speaking about earlier. So that's kind of the approach we're taking.
3: Have you guys given thought to pushing the underwater to so 15 metres on, especially in the third turn, and what it takes to do that long course?
0: I think um, it is definitely a case of, like, I, I do need to push my underwater slightly more. Um, I think the strength... I'm gaining from doing slightly more hundred work is benefiting me in that department. Yeah. I, I couldn't do 15 meters because that would be, that would tip the balance too much in the fatigue and, and, and the hypoxia. Yeah. But there's definitely a case that I, I sometimes don't work that last wall as much as I should do. And I know that's something I need, to, I need to be better at. Uh, I, I love that video, you know, going back to Phelps' Beijing yeah. um, two free, and this is such a swimming nerdy kind of um, anecdote, but his last wall, and that two under three, and he just gets under everyone's everyone's waves. And that's just, I mean, he was like obviously the best in the world at that. Um, not quite got felt as underwaters just yet. It's a work in progress, <laughs> but um, you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for having, yeah, pushing that last wall a little bit more. Yeah. but It's so counterintuitive. That's the last thing a body wants to do, isn't it? You know, it wants to get up and get going. So, yeah. um, it's tough, but yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it.
3: I'll see I, so you ahead, mentioned, I, or, yeah. go on. Okay. No, I, I brought it up because we're seeing a lot of NCAA swimmers in yards like doing seven kicks off the last wall of the 500 or Marchand doing 11 yeah. kicks off the last wall, wall of 400 IM. And I just don't understand how to get there. But yeah, it's kind of Twitter for sure, long course.
0: But, but, but the same about the short course swimmers, you know, short course and long course, they're like different sports. Exactly. You know, they're worlds apart. Like you look at Melbourne, even look at ISL. You know, you've got these big dogs of ISL absolutely cleaning up. Yeah. You know, all the NC two A's and stuff, so few of them can translate that into long course swimming. You know, so few of them have that ability to be able to like Marshan, he's one of the few. You know, he can mm-hmm. he can do some unreal. I've seen his times obviously incredible. NC2A times, they don't really mean much to me or to anyone over here. So it's it's you just know if it's quick, if he if he's breaking records and stuff, you know it's gonna be quick. B can translate that into long course. And and I saw that post that Bowman did on his Instagram about Phelps's, like number of world records, I think it was, or, or number of medals at long course versus short course competitions. And he just said, if you want to win Olympic medals, you need to focus on long course, you know, because it's just completely yeah. different. Yeah. You know, a sh- like a short course four under three, I do those because I can get my head around them and, and, and I'm okay at them. Compared to a long course four free, three, they're so, so different. And I think that's a, a lot to be said about the, um, the underwaters. You've got that boy who won, the, um, who won Melbourne 53, the, the Cayman Islands, um, Jordan Crooks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, his underwater's were insane. You know that second wall, going against BP, he absolutely was like a rocket off that wall. Is he going to be able to translate that into long course? We're just going to have to wait and see, aren't we? Because yeah. you know you only have fifty percent of the number of turns and number of the underwaters So it's really a level. You know it's a real leveler for everyone those long course races, and and it kind of makes a bit of a different playing field. But you know at the end of the day, you have to remember the Olympics are won in the long course pool. So. That's right.
1: You know? Tom, you mentioned uh, trials coming up. What's um, what what are the goals for trials besides just making the team? I mean, you're, you're here. You are talking about the transition and how big of a leap the two hundred free is made. And this is mm. one of the biggest tests for you to be able to, um, you know, trial out a race strategy. And obviously, like, you know, there's not a ton of those opportunities throughout the year, especially when you're training to peak for long course. Yeah. So, yeah, what are, what are you hoping to achieve uh coming up here in sheffield
0: you're right I'm, I'm in slightly more of a fortunate position whereby trials are more a process i need to go through whereby it's kind of go there execute some good races stick to my race strategies get my ticket and and, and kind of not like I'm, 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 I'm physically getting up for it, but emotionally, you know, it doesn't require as much emotional energy as as the World Olympics. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm in that position, um, because of the times I know I'm, I'm capable of doing. So there is an argument. You're right to, to try out some slightly different race strategies. So I think last year I, I tried shifting that second 50 quite a lot quicker on the 200 free, I think, and and Duncan and I had another good scrap. But I'm doing the same schedule as I was last year: 100 free, 200 free, 200 IM. It is a case, you know, first and foremost, booking tickets on that. On that, um, on that plane. The two hundred three, three, you know, we haven't seen anything super, super exciting. Matt went all right, you know, 147 out in America, didn't he? He went okay. Um, the 2im, Duncan's been going all right, but he hasn't gone super quick this year. You know, he wasn't super, super fast at Edinburgh. You know, he'll, he'll be the first one to admit that as well. So that two three, 200im, we'll kind of see how that goes. But I think the 103 is going to be really interesting. You know, you have a lot of guys trying for that 103 now. And, you know, you've got to remember, we've got, in terms of tapered meets, tapered long-term meets, trials this year, worlds, trials, and then the Olympic Games. You've got three tapered meets. You know, so this is one of the real big three testers to see not only where I'm at as my, uh, myself, but, you know, I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm, I'm able to go and do and what it'll require to get on the team. But it's also that, that slightly younger group of swimmers, you know, who are 15 months away from the Olympics. Who's going to be on that four-by-one for us? Who's going to be on that four-by-two? You know, are we going to have the depth or has have a few people moved on and, and and not enough people kind of come up through the ranks it's a real test and i think british swimming are going to have a keen eye on, on those relays because they they're putting a real emphasis on on that kind of medal approach so as much as it is um, you know i need to go there and do my job i also love british champs because you really get a gauge of where the where the rest of the uh, the nations at um, and obviously just out of interest, but also from a slightly selfish standpoint for the relays because, yeah. you know, everyone else is swimming, my fellow 100, 200 freestylers, that affects my relay uh, medal chances in 18 months' time. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's really important for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we've been following more and more British trials. Um, and like you said, a lot of it is from great fast swimming and it's more accessible nowadays. And also mm-hmm. the relay implications, like you said. But one gripe I have, I'm watching trials and – Let's go two and a free. You and yep. you and Duncan. We have a great race here in the middle of the pool. Oh, Touching the wall know, in one forty four world leading time. What can we they do? Need. Need I mean, we got more. Rowdy up there screaming God knows what, at least yelling reaction times.
0: Um tell us, yeah. I know, we need your commentator. It's like um I can't I don't know who was commentating when I was out in ISL. It's so funny because like it, I love it. I think it's an American thing. But I remember Dressel would be, be like, here comes Dressel, and it's everyone's going nuts and stuff like. You know, that's what we need a little bit of that. You, you get Sunny so, Treg, um,
3: get Sunny in there. Sonny's good. He's pretty good. Yeah, you'll have
0: to send a few. Of, yeah, true, <laughs> true. You'll have to send a few of your guys over to do our bricks champs. Cause, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Sheffield, like, it's a nice vet. Well, it's not a nice venue actually. It's a bit, it's a bit old now. But um, yeah, that you know, you could. Some races, you could hear a pin drop. You need you need something to get it a bit <laughs> psyched up a little bit. So, um yeah, especially when you've got, like, I mean, world, like, trials 2021 for the Olympics. Me and Duncan went 144.4 yeah. and 144.5. huge. Uh, the two fastest times in the world. And it was, like, obviously, it was COVID times, There weren't <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's see. I was hearing crickets, you know, from outside the... A bit of tumbleweed was going by. Yep. It's like, it's, it's like so, a commentating.
3: Um, it's like the commentating links golf, Line four. Talking. I know. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Man. Something like, like that. that. So no, cool.
3: it's, it's cricket at Lords, guys. I want to see cricket at Lords. I'm from the West Indies, and we're drinking yeah. rum, we're partying, we're dancing, yeah. and everything. And you go to Lords, and it's it's like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> polite. Maybe it's a British thing. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't right. know. Okay. Yeah. Wait. I got to
1: ask you. You said this on your last podcast that uh, you play golf on on taper. Um, yeah
0: yeah yeah it's, it's the only thing that doesn't taper down is the amount of golf I play I play more in the three weeks of taper than I do for like the three months prior um I think because you just like got a lot more free time and you're not very tired you know so it's it's not good though because I feel like I'm I'm getting fatigued from golfing and it's like that's the opposite of what you want to be doing on taper so I'm trying to rein it in a little bit more but yeah I go out with Jimmy my training partner and we we, we, tra- we play a few times so um I still yeah Still need a bit more practice to be him, but uh, yeah.
1: Make sure you got a good, uh, make sure you got a good chiropractor and massage therapist handy. I know. Don't get real bad.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. Go put my shoulder out or something.
1: <laughs> what kind of golfer are you? Uh, what's your handicap?
0: Oh, mate. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I've literally only played eighteen like three times in my life. Um, so, I mean, probably maybe pitching about like 20, 18 or twenty or something like that. Um, If I'm having a good day, but yeah, this is, it's all quite, the only reason I started playing, to be honest with you, mate, was in the lead up to the Olympics, Jimmy was like, oh, when we go to the village, you're going to do a lot of walking, a lot more walking than you probably would normally do. So he was like to me, he's like, try and get out for some walks in the day if you can, Mm -hmm. just because otherwise you'll get to the games, you'll start walking to the canteen and stuff. And you'll be absolutely knackered by the time your race comes around. Mm -hmm. And I'd never picked up a golf club in my life. And I got some cheap ones off eBay, and I was like, Oh, Jim, do you want to? Because he's been playing for years. He's, Jim's played for ages. He's really, really good. And he was like, Oh, do you want to? I was like, John's played like nine holes on a Wednesday afternoon or something. And, and we just started to build up our step count for the Olympic Games by playing a bit of golf and then, you know, started to really enjoy it and been trying to play a little bit more. But it's just time, like time down yeah. at the range and stuff. When you're doing a full week of training, you're absolutely knackered. The last thing you want to do is get up, get in your car, drive up to the range and start hitting some balls. You just, and, the weather's pretty shit here, you know, 75% of the year. So uh, yeah, need to get down a little bit more.
3: Brian, you did say it helped you with the connections, right? With connecting the hip and and the levers and all that. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't do it on taper though, because I was (laughs) concerned that I would (laughs) chunk it and like, you know, end up with some sort of weird kind of shoulder thing. But um, yeah, I I always felt uh, with freestyle that uh, the timing of my hips and the hand mm-hmm. hit in golf was kind of similar to the way that I thought about hand entry and like uh, just hip alignment and freestyle That's for some reason, mentally, even though they're different motions, Makes there's connection. something about something about the coordination between those. Yeah, two cross link. I, was, I liked it during training and I happened yeah. to, I had, a, I had an apartment once that was on a golf course and I had a oh. par five, like right out my front door. So, so every pretty. evening I would just go out there and, you know, Pour a beer or something and then grab a few balls and, and a couple clubs <laughs> right. and just go play the par five it was great
0: that's so nice that's nice that's the dream yeah
3: tom i want to talk a bit about british swimming at a high level so we right after the trials in 2020 we had a couple like, you guys just stunned the world with your trials and and so we we had joe Litchfield on we had matt richards on you know and, and we're talking about those trials and how freaking fast it was and the world was on notice yeah. right and for the four by one especially four by two and you know what happened in the four by two the secret's out british freestyle, british swimming is freaking there right legit But mm-hmm. it's a bit of a target in your back now a bit and, and but you also have a bunch more young kids coming up you know lewis burrows yeah. these people coming up talk about that talk about the the pride in that four by two and the four by one the the reserves you have the bench you have and you know I'm making you look forward, but, you know, looking forward to Worlds and even next year.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, the, this, I'll start with the 4 by 2 The 4 by 2 team, uh, there was a lot of history there. You know, they won in 2015, I'm pretty sure. Uh, 2016, they got the silver behind you guys. Uh, and then they went ahead and won in 2017 as well. And I was a young athlete. I was, I was a young swimmer at this point. You know, 2016, Rio was the first time I watch the swimming competition, you know, cause I was starting to get into it a little bit more and, and, you know, I, you know, swimming was uh, studying in school was always like priority number one for me. But then as I got, I was 16 years old when Rio was happening and I started to take more of a keen interest in, it. I remember watching the guys and I remember watching Jimmy race against Phelps at his last ever race on that medley relay, you know, they dove in together and, and I was, you know, that's, that's a real strong memory of mine. Anyway, 2017, 2018 was my first time on a senior team. I went to Europeans in 2018 and I got picked for the 4x2, which I wasn't expecting. I got picked for the final and we won gold. You know, so all of a sudden I went from just going to this competition that I didn't think I was even going to get selected for to winning gold at the Europeans. And it was really prestigious to be part of this 4x2 team. You know, everyone wants a, a piece of this action. Everyone wants to, to be part of this 4x2. And I, I in the team with Callum Jarvis, Duncan Scott and James Guy, you know, these are like legends of British swimming. And I remember I was in the cool room with them. And it's so funny telling this story now because Jimmy's like my closest mate. We, you know, we'd be hanging out all the time and stuff like that. But 2018, I'd never met him before. I didn't know who he was. You know, never spoken to him before. I'm in the courtroom. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Duncan Scott and it's James Guy. You know, you're really quite in awe. And that was an incredible start to my senior career. You know, I I think that's a real important developmental experience for me. Roll around 2019, we had the 4 by 2 and we come fifth. And it's like a real knockback. You know, the defending world champions coming fifth. But we went back to the drawing board. We had this meeting and I remember Dave saying to me, he's like, that's the best thing that could have happened to you guys because it's going to make you really hungry, really hungry for this 4x2. Anyway, come Olympic year, the 4x2, it's like it's been bubbling up in the background and getting stronger and stronger. And we got to the trials and it was like you had to go under 147 to make the final. Now, I know for you guys, you know, in America, you've got a lot more depth than we do. You know, you have loads of guys, 146, 147. You know, you have that depth. But for us, like eight guys, 147 and quicker was like, oh, my God, this is insane. Yeah. It's the fastest final we've ever seen. And then we have two guys that go 144 mid, Matt, who goes a 145, and Jimmy, who's obviously a 145 swimmer, and he split a 143 in the past. And it's like, you know, something pretty special is happening here. We get to the Olympic Games. We have the two and the three, and we're heading into a four by two with the Olympic champion and the Olympic silver medalist on our team. And honestly, guys, it's like we'd won the race before we even walked out. It yeah. was just, we were so calm and collected. We knew what we had to do. We were confident. We're in the cool room. The four of us were having a laugh. We're having a joke. I let out, honestly, that lead out leg That's one of the roughest two hundred frees i I've done. I was on my ass. I was absolutely spent. I went a second slower than I did the morning before, you know, because I'd done the heat the night before, which in hindsight I probably shouldn't have done. I hadn't slept all night. as I was just all over the place. So I had a rough, you know, still 145. It was okay. It was enough to get us by. Matt goes in, splits 145. Great. Jimmy splits 144. Yeah. And I see Duncan near the water. I'm like, we've, we've, won. we've won the 4x2. You know, we're Olympic champions on the 4x2. And it's just like, I remember that feeling so clearly. It's like watching one of your closest pals swimming into the wall to win you an Olympic gold medal after winning the Olympic gold the day before. And it's just like the maddest 24 hours of my life you know it's a real real special memory of mine so that was a that was incredible you know was a highlight this had been the culmination of five or six years of work all of a sudden coming together and we'd we'd you guys which was a great feeling obviously uh we're just off the world record um but we were really close to it uh and it, it was really really exciting and then you know 203s become the blue ribbon event in british swimming you know it's the last event on the sunday evening um, so two weeks now, the British champs, it's, it's really become an exciting event because everyone wants a piece of that pie. You know, everyone wants to get stuck in with, um, with the 4x2. Budapest last year, it was tough because we didn't have Duncan. Um, yep. Matt wasn't swimming very quickly last year. He'll be the first one to admit that. You know, he's like 149, 148 split. You know, it's not super quick. Jimmy, 146 lead off. Mm-hmm. It's OK. Look, the, that, that wasn't a great world champs. You know, no one was on the best form. You know, I, you know, I wasn't on amazing form. But still, you know, 143.5 for that split. I am still really happy with that. I was chasing down Mack. I um, managed to sneak the bronze. But you need the stars to align. You know, we haven't yeah. got the depth to really back up, you know, loads of guys going 145 and 1.6 like you have You know, we need all four of our guys to be on it and to really be delivering the goods. Yeah. So I'm looking at it this year and I'm like, I know what Jimmy can do. I see him in training every day. I know he's consistent. I know he's going to put a good swim in. I'm confident I can do a good swim on the relay. You know, I'll be back down where I need to be. Duncan, you got real hope that he can he can you know pull something out of the bag. He, he you know he's a relay swimmer. You look at what he did against Adrian in Guangzhou. You know you look at what he's done in, in um, at, at the Olympic Games. You know one forty three and all these crazy other splits stuff like that. that fourth guy, look, Matt's already gone to one forty seven this year. That's looking better than he was last yeah. year. So hopefully he can go quick, and hopefully he can go even quicker in the relay. So yeah, it's going to be a real test this World Champs, and it's going to be a real test as to. 12 months out from the Olympic Games, what kind of team can we pull together? Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see. And then the same on the 4x1 free. That's another one that's been building up, you know, because we have got slightly more depth there. You know, myself, Duncan, Lewis Burrows, Jacob Whittle, Matt Richards, Ed Mildred, who I train with. He's a great 100 uh, freestyle swimmer. So I think that's going to be an exciting one as well. But like I said, we need four guys to have the meets of their lives and we've had loads of meetings back from British swimming because everyone knows they have a role to play. And that's very much the ethos uh, heading into Paris. So, look, I think those freestyle relays are going to be really, really exciting over the next, what is it, 15, 16 months.
3: It's, it, we had Roland Skouman on and he was recalling the whole lead up. We asked him how did South Africa win that gold medal in 2004, in the mm. 4x1. And, mm. you know, they, they hardly made the finals the year before. And one thing he talked about was that the the two leaders, Reich and himself, would get together and say, you know what, we can can do this. We've got five guys who are forty eights. We can do this. And they used to call each other up and check on each other regularly and say, yo, Darian, Young, you can do this. Like encouraging and speaking. They didn't train together, but they spoke to each other and they kept together and kept that solidarity and that pump do you have to see yourself calling up the folks you know even though your rivals is do you, do you guys communicate and set those goals together
0: so we had a meeting about this at the start of the year all the lads in british swimming, we had a boys relay camp within british swimming. we had this really really great psychology session that that really sticks out in my mind and it was a three hour long session it was incredible and everyone was really honest and upfront uh, and, and quite vulnerable as well which is where yeah. you really build those great you know team bonds is showing a degree of vulnerability. Yeah. And I think we came to the agreement that we, you know, we're British, we can't force it. You know, we can't, we haven't got that same kind of Americanism, you know, that you guys do, where it's like, you know, come on, bro, let's, let's do, you know, all that kind of, you know, it's slightly different. It's slightly, it's slightly more reserved, I think, slightly more conservative, whereby you, you, we still have that energy and that repertoire, but it's not that, you know, hands in the middle, three, two, one, go blue, or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. So I think we came up with the ethos that, you know, you're doing it for the boys, you know, we're doing it for the boys and, and, and everyone's being held accountable, you know, and, and, and that's the real key, you know, building a healthy culture. And like you said, being able to pull up people up and hold people accountable. Yeah. And it's creating that environment within the national training centers. And that's yeah. really, really key. So I think there is that. I think there is that, maybe not to the same extent, As some other countries, like I said, but I do think that that it's a healthy approach whereby people want to be a part of this. People want to earn their spots on the relay, you know, because there's it's almost like a a snowball effect. Once you have a great result at Olympic Games or World Champs, um, you know, these relays are held in like a high stead. You know, they they've got um, they're quite grand and they're important and they're impressive. And you have these young lads being like. God, I really want to be part of that 4 by 2 I want to be up there with with Tom and Duncan and Jimmy. Yeah. And, you know, I really want to... It's, it, it, it's you know, it holds a high position within British yeah. training these relays now. And I think that's really important because you have young guys wanting to earn their position. And it, it, it's a real, you know, you have to earn your spot. It's that kind of approach. Nothing given. Nothing's given with these relays, yeah. you know. And, and as soon as you take your foot off the gas, there's someone else there to, to take that spot. And it, it's flipping that mentality around where it's not like... Oh, you know we might do a relay with with team GB or brick swimming, but you know i don't know if we'll make a final or we might come sick because it's like if you're there you're there to win medals you know and you're there to do your job and, and that's a really important part of it so a slightly different mentality uh, to mm-hmm. you guys and maybe to the south africans but but definitely that yeah. that mindset's there
1: oh yeah all right tom we're gonna let you go but i've got a few rapid fire questions and and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll end it all right, um, what's the hardest what's the hardest race in swimming
0: uh, the four I am.
1: Olympic gold or world record? Olympic gold. GP in the pool.
0: Or we yes, in the I pool do. sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who on Team G does the best American accent?
0: Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably Dun- Duncan probably does a good one. We had an American lad, a uh, young American lad. He's actually British. He, he raced over the Commie Games johnny marshall <laughs> he's just had a pretty strong accent yeah you don't get many american accents here so um yeah they're quite funny when you hear them
1: uh, all the bros you talked about okay what uh, what, what time wins a medal in the tuna free in paris um
0: 144 low for a medal okay 144 and, flat maybe all right and then we always have to know do you
1: do social kick and training?
0: Oh, yeah, all the time. Love it. Dave tells us off, but I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's always got to be something for you in there, right? Can't have the coaches wait. Exactly. Out
0: Highlight of the session, of course. <sighs>
1: Uh, well mate thanks so much for spending the time hanging out with us we're looking forward to watching your race at trials coming up and um, yeah wish you all the best with uh, the continued success of the weekly freestyle super fun listen everybody listens to this go listen to the weekly freestyle it's awesome yeah all right good stuff cheers fellas yeah buddy thanks that's it for this episode of social kick and we'll see you next time hey everybody thanks for hanging out with us if you're enjoying social kick tell your friends about it and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website,